Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Little Feminist. Little Feminist is running a campaign to launch a board book set, We Are Little Feminists, featuring photos of real families with poems to build vocabulary and family connection. We Are Little Feminists celebrates diversity in all forms through everyday topics, hair, family, and movement. Why photo books? Toddlers love photos of everyday kids, but most children's books don't represent our diverse world. And since the founders of Little Feminist know a ton about children's books, they decided to write what they know is missing. The project ends November 4th, and I'm a proud backer. Consider joining me at the sponsor link in the show notes and help raise good humans one children's book at a time. You know, like, I know this too, but you know, like, one day we could just do this in real life. We could just hang out. Like, not even record. Yeah. We can just see each other. I'm aware of that too. We should. We totally should. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I, mean, I guess we've gotten to at least see each other briefly yeah. at the games yeah. festivals, but, like, it's not enough. I'm like, yeah, we need a cup of coffee and, like, something yummy to nibble on. Kids have a strong sense of justice. This manifests in defending their friends, calling out things they feel aren't fair, coming to the side of those who are sick or injured. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 545. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking to Hannah Kahn, the author of More to the Story. The novel is inspired by Louisa May Alcott's Little Women and centers on a Pakistani-American family with four daughters, Jamila, Alisa, Bisma and Miriam. We experience the story through Jamila, a writer and budding journalist who passionately wants to make her mark on the school's newspaper. The story is a lens through which readers experience that how we are in the world and how we react and respond to things going on in the world has everything to do with who we are and who we are becoming. There are so many moments throughout more to the story where a side of our characters is revealed, and they must confront what this truth means. Fairness, microaggressions, exploitation, trauma, they are part of life, and our reactions to them communicate our values. I became quite emotionally attached to this story, and I'm finding it's making it challenging to write this introduction. Best to jump straight into the conversation. Please welcome my guest, Hannah Khan, the author of More to the Story. All right. 
Hi, my name is Hannah Khan, and I go by pronouns she, her, hers, and I am a picture book and middle grade author. Um, I probably do about equal amounts of, of each type right now, uh, and I'm really excited to have a new novel out and some more picture books coming out soon and to talk with you today. Wow, you are so busy. I love it. I love that you do all the things that you're writing for. I think I've said to you before in person, Hannah, that I love that you're writing for all of the elementary school. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love it too. I know you write for. It's so fun. I mean, it goes a little older than that, but to me, in yeah. my world, it's just like you're speaking to all of them. It's so great. And I should say, because I don't know, maybe we've said this on uh, that I've gotten to say this to you in person, but congratulations on on having a book on our on our maryland black eyed susan state book award uh, amina's oh, voice was you. on there um and from the librarian's perspective i could tell you that so many of my readers read that book and just were moved and laughed and devastated and just remember that book um thank you so thank you for writing that and i know that that book also or that opportunity on our state list brought you into a lot of our Maryland schools as as you're already around me you're already in our schools but um yeah so I I hope that a number of students had the opportunity to say that to you as well I know it really reached a lot of kids thank you and it's so fun to see it on different lists and um even this year I didn't realize that it could that was possible I thought only maybe the year that it came out and so it's really lovely to see it make its way through different lists and just to know it's connecting with readers now too um which is it's it's the best feeling our list um we consider because i read on the award committee for a number of years um on the picture book committee and on the novel committee and i um helped found the graphic novel committee um but our all of those groups consider books published in the past three years actually Oh, wow. So maybe yeah, there's other great. state book awards that um, use that same model uh, of just, you know, a, a single committee can't possibly read everything and you just don't mm-hmm. know what really feels like it's going to have legs or feel like the right book for that set of nominees. And in, in, in our award, we have 10 books and they're always all a little different from one another. So right, when right. kids read, they they're really getting a a diverse set of books. When I was book talking them this year, I, I always have, I tell them like, there's always one really sad book and it's wonderful oh. <laughs> and it's devastatingly sad and beautiful. Yeah. And we have that book this year. We have the funny, we have the uh, illustrated or the historical or the, there's always a, a great like animal centered book. <laughs> yeah, as there should be. That's there should be. So there really is something for, yeah. they're trying to reach all readers, stretch you out of your, normal reading comfort zone, but also give you something to, to bring you in. So Amina's voice was that for so many kids, both being a book, I think that um, was one that they would reach for first and maybe for others, ones that, that um, they were brought into the award and, and then got to read that. So that's, it's just cool. It's cool that that happens. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing from the side to see that and like battles of the books and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I'm like, this is so cool. So I love it. Okay, so I'm going to use that as my tie-in to your book, and I'll 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 tie it together in a moment because I told you prior to recording that that I have sort of had this 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 comment about your book, this truth about your book that I've been keeping from you. Um, okay. <laughs> I should say to, to listeners, I'm friends with Hannah outside of the podcast. <laughs> we do talk. <laughs> it's not like I'm talking to a stranger saying I'm keeping something from you, but 
<laughs> um, but Hannah, before we go um, deeper into this book, would you mind introducing more to the story to those listening that haven't come across your book yet? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so more to the story is, uh, well, a story about four sisters uh, growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, in modern day times. And they are a Pakistani American family. And um, the book is inspired by my all time favorite book from when I was growing up, Little Women. Um, and it's not a an, a retelling of the book as much as it is inspired by. So people who are familiar with Little Women will find parallels, um, things I've plucked out of the original story um, that, you know, the fact that there's four sisters and each of their names start with the same letter as the girls in the classic uh, and also share some of the similar personality traits, I guess. Um, but it's a story about, was centered around Jamila, the main character who would be the equivalent of Joe. And um, she's an aspiring writer, a journalist, actually, like her late grandfather, uh, who has a bit of a temper and is trying to find her way and navigate big changes in her family and in her life, um, as many teens are, and, uh, and has to figure things out as she goes along. So, one, your book is gorgeous. I listen to it on audio, as I do all of my middle grade. And I loved this story, Hannah. It's so beautiful. And Thank you. I, I found... <laughs> I found moments where I was just going, oh, child, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. And then it it made me feel for you because I thought, you're putting your characters through these things. You must be (laughs) feeling this. But um, I know you you were caring for them. But I also had this. So here's here's my thing. Um, In in that stretch that I was mentioning with the State Book Award of picking up a book that maybe you you wouldn't grab first that you don't have background on my loose connection to that is that I've never read little women. And I knew going into this book that this book was inspired or in your case, uh, um, not only inspired, but, but sort of a love letter to little women. And as I'm reading it, I'm having these moments of, I feel like this is a connection, but I don't know the original book. And I thought, I thought to tell you that, to connect a book sort of uh, spiritually or through your love of this, this uh, story you grew up with um, to write a story in that way to me felt so much like I can feel how much you care about this original story because I can feel little women speaking through your story but I don't know how that is because I haven't read the book, but I watched <laughs> oh, the movie. I believe the movie when I watched it ages ago, one of the, one of the many of the movie adaptations, oh. I believe one of them had Winona Ryder. It did. This is the one yeah. that I remember. I don't remember the yeah. story, but I remember that there were indeed uh, women. I remember that at some point there was a line that goes something like they were no longer little girls. They were little women. There's some sort of like wonderful sending <laughs> off line, whatever yeah. it was. I sort of remember it with a, quasi nostalgia um but to to know that there was if nothing else there was just that like single thread running through your book that sort of uh invariably tied you to little women i thought was just it was it was a it was a beautiful thing that i always had in my mind 
Thank you. Yeah. Well, you, you 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 described it so much better than me. Like I gave such a bland <laughs> description of this book, but um, I have I have actually described it as a love letter to my favorite book because it really it felt like that to me. And and initially I had imagined it as more of a straight retelling, and I thought um, it maybe even would be a YA. And some of the themes that are you know part of the the classic book things like gender norms or even um, boy girl you know, relationships and dating and, and the formality of that and even marriage proposals, for example, lent themselves uh, really well to a Pakistani-American version and Pakistani culture in general. And it all felt very familiar to me when I was growing up with these characters. But when I actually sat down to write the book, um, I, I just felt more comfortable in a middle grade voice. And I realized I didn't want to tell someone else's story. And that as much as I loved the the classic, just like the movies that you described, I never I never loved the movies. I, I thought they were okay, and I liked certain things about them. <laughs> but I thought, well, I always like most people. I think we you know we love the book so much more than the movie, um, almost always, right? And I feel like I, I didn't want to do that to a reader and have them question why I changed what I changed, or you know be dissatisfied or um, you know angry at me for for changing things. And so I realized that, that I just didn't want to do that and. Um, it ended up being a story that's, you know, very much a new story, but that has, um, you know, pieces of the, the classic that I love so much and certain themes that mattered to me that maybe weren't even the biggest themes of the story, the original story that stayed with me and worked their way into the into the book. So um, so I really appreciate that. And I love that you you feel it because I, I hope that's what readers readers take away. I feel like some of the the what I loved about Little Women so much were things like the the strength of the family bond and yeah. sisterhood and friendship and just um, the depth of connections and emotions that people feel. Um, and so, so I hope to convey in my book. There was a great deal of connection between the family members. I mean, you have dad working overseas, but always staying connected to his family, to his daughters, even to the point that at one point... I don't want to, this wouldn't be spoiling, but at one point, um, Jamila sort of steals away a bunch of time with dad, just so she doesn't have to have that, have her time limited. But she really just wants that moment with him. But then she also says like, I know I need to pass off the phone to my, my sisters. Um, yeah. You have the, 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 the struggle of, of not being, I don't know, for Jamila, not being enough not being this enough or not being that enough, having a sister that that always seems to be noticed yeah. or having uh, a, a younger sister that always seems to be sort of allowed to be cared for. doesn't need to be so independent all the time, mm-hmm. um, but just wanting to have, just Jamila wanting to have a, a, a voice. Um, right. And I, I thought, I thought to make that space for her, Specifically, I'm talking about with the the school newspaper and what it means to to tell something that you feel like matters and is relevant to other people, and to say, I, I, I want to enter this space where you know, you're doing this thing for the school, making this newspaper, but also I want to enter into it in the way that I want it to be. I want it. I want it to. I want this to be my career. So I want <laughs> this school newspaper to be the first step and not be trivial. Right. I think right. that that there were moments like that that I thought um, were just so indelibly 
true. They just felt real. They felt, I mean, to be honest, Hannah, they felt like you. I felt like, is this you? Was this something you've always <laughs> wanted to do? And you're sort of speaking through the character. Um, well, I did. I did in some ways. Okay. You know, when I was when I was a kid, I and it's funny. I used to write a family newspaper, and when I do, school you visits, did the I, family I, newspaper yeah, was amazing. I had a family newspaper, <laughs> and I show kids. I actually have them. I save them, and I found them in a box, and I actually scanned a few pages, and I show them to kids. And and in my case, it's actually really, uh, it was really eye opening for me to go back and read my family newspapers and discover that I had left. I left out all the details that made my family different than, than the families I was reading about in books. So as a Pakistani American, you don't, you wouldn't know it if you were reading about my family, you would think that we were not any different than, you know, Ramona Quimby and her family (laughs) or Joe March and her family. But, um, but yeah, I I wonder now, like, did I, did I get that idea from little women? Cause in that Joe keeps, you know, has a family newspaper as well. Um, and even though I think Joe was more of a novelist, I, I did actually want to be a journalist when I was younger and I wrote for my school newspaper and I didn't have the struggle that she has in terms of being feeling limited or held back. And um, I'm still really good friends with my editor and she just finished the book and she was laughing and she said she told her daughter that I was I was the inspiration for Travis, <laughs> but but she wasn't because she didn't she didn't hold me back like that. And we actually did push the boundaries as a as a school newspaper and talk about big issues. Um but I thought about Jamila feeling, like you said, sort of confined. And um, and that, too, was something I felt like, you know, Joe felt in Little Women was being limited or being held back from who she wanted to be. Um, and in Jamila's case, wanting to be an award-winning journalist like her grandfather, sort of this, you know, it, it's sort of a mix. that like she's, she's sort of hungry for fame and accolades and awards like her grandfather has gotten over the years. But, but at the same time, she has this sense of purpose and this, you know, idea to of making people care about things that matter too. So there's a noble side to it as well, even though she's looking for, um, at least for you know much of the book, looking for the story that's going to put her on the map and, and, and get her the award that she, she craves. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. What, what I loved about this character is just the pursuit that she doesn't want to be I don't know I just I I think I was really drawn to how 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 her frustration comes through but also just sort of the the way that she's like oh this is typical this guy has always hated me so of course he's going to reject every single story that I do or I don't know that he has that she has these moments and then you give her this gift of of Ali and the way that that this family member who who comes to be um 
in much more regular contact with them than before um has has the effect of sort of um i feel like it's too easy to say of stirring the pot but it, it just sort of shakes up the family dynamic just enough to have uh, I think the girls, especially Jamila in this case, because we're hearing it through her voice, um, just to give her that like extra voice in her head of, 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 um, I don't know, of complexity in the way she's viewing the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and all of a sudden for a family where there are four sisters to all of a sudden have this boy and he's actually, even though she calls her uncle, uncle, he's, he's her husband, her fa- father's best friend. So they're actually technically not related. So um, he's sort of like a lot of the kids that I grew up with who were sort of like cousin friends, you know, they weren't really related, but this is close family connection and, and you feel like family almost, even though you're not, um, but to have, you know, to have someone like that come along where there is that closeness even before you meet because of who you are, because you're connected to someone uh, who matters so much. And in this case, her her dad's best friend and the family that she knows so well. So to have Ali come in and sort of, like you said, you know, shake things up and be this different personality. And I don't actually understand why. I don't remember why I decided that he would be British. <laughs> in the audiobook, he is clearly British. <laughs> is he? Okay. I, yeah. So I have to listen to it still. I just got, um, I just realized that I, I listened to an excerpt, but I haven't listened to the whole thing. And I realized I haven't heard him. Um, so, yeah. So he's British. And it's actually really funny. I had a, a British consultant help me with my Britishisms. Because the Britishism. I had say, the colloquialism. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, you know, we we assume certain things, you know, but they, they, I was off in a few places. And so it was cute. He went with me line by line and we read the dialogue together and he corrected me. But um, but just the fact that he's this, you know, mysterious, but also friendly and, and warm and funny person who they're trying to get to know um, and who has who've just become so important so quickly um, was, was really fun to write. And just that whole dynamic between him and the sisters and the way they each interact with him. I, I like to write. Well, and that she becomes, or that he becomes to Jamila, this sort of subject that she wants to pivot her, her sort of global thinking around the, 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 all the challenges she's sort of seeing with the world or the roadblocks she's seeing suddenly here comes this, this person that we can filter everything through, so to speak, Mm -hmm. because her, her, Mm -hmm. News article, um, the first interest um, listeners um, ends up being, uh, wouldn't it be great to write about the way that he's got these like these turns of phrase that are different from ours. And that um, in some cases, there's a specific uh, line, I think, about how um, someone said about wearing pants but Ali was like that's what we call underpants that's the one that really stuck with me that um this term of like are you are you just gonna wear pants out and Ali thought that was funny because it was the term for underpants in England but um it turns from that into a bigger conversation of like why do we assume these things about people and and about them being indifferent uh, just being different from us or or not I Mm -hmm. I guess so I, I want to read something to you, if that's okay. Sure. I want to read a scene that, that I had to stop after listening to in order to let it have the weight that it has and let it sink in the way that it has. I wonder if oh, you wow. have already predicted that I'm about to talk to you about archery. Oh, good. Yay. <laughs> so, 
I I want to drop us. I don't know if I can. I don't want to read the whole thing. That's too long. Um, so let me set up that there are um, some girls in this school that appear in this scene, Lily and Kayla. And Lily and Kayla are, well, they're friends of Jamila, but they're sort of, we're getting into this complicated age in life where we're starting to see ourselves as as people and see the friends around us as people. And um, in that way, we also start to show our true selves to one another, uh, which in some cases means not only airing out our ignorances, but also either addressing them or um, <laughs> maybe becoming even showing ourselves as more ignorant in the in the process. I'm I don't want to give away this, so I'm just going to read it. Hannah, are you OK with me reading to you? Is this OK? Of course. I I'm love it. Just assume. All right. I'll do nowhere near the justice that the audiobook does, but um, I'm going to set up that um, Jamila likes archery. This is a sport that she is drawn to because she's she's good at it, and it's fun to finally have a thing that you're good at, and now your whole class is doing it. So um, <laughs> Lily goes, uh, I'm up. Lily lifts the bow and takes an arrow out of the cone and aligns it on the bow. I'm so bad at this. Zing! The arrow flies through the air, neat neatly misses the target by at least three feet and lands somewhere in the grass. Told you I'm bad at this, Lily giggles. You didn't aim, I say. You have to focus on the target. I did, Lily starts to howl with laughter, and Kayla joins in. Like this. I take the bow and demonstrate how to fix your eyes past the tip of the arrow to the point where you want it to land. Lily tries again, and this time hits the outer edge of the target. No points, but at least it's something. Yes, Lily cheers. You're the best. You're so good at this, one of the girls behind us says. I think her name is Kenzie. Thanks, I say. It's like you're a natural, she continues. But that makes sense, because you're Indian, right? What? I don't even know if I heard her right. She's not that kind of Indian, Kenzie, another girl named Maureen corrects. You're thinking of Native Americans. She's from India. It keeps getting worse. I can't believe what I'm hearing. And look at Lily and Kayla in disbelief. Lily palms her face with her hand. I'm not Indian, I tell Kenzie and Maureen. I'm American. I mean, but where are you from? Like, originally, Maureen asks. My father and grandparents came to America from Pakistan. It's a different country from India. Got it. Sorry, Kenzie shrugs dismissively. She doesn't say it, but it feels like she means same thing. Lily fires her third arrow and misses the target again. This time she doesn't laugh, though. She hands me the bow in silence. As I step up to the line, my face is ablaze with fury at myself for not speaking up. I want to say that Christopher Columbus may have been traveling to India when he ended up in the Caribbean, but most people have figured out the difference by now. And I want to say that I'm not good at archery because I'm Native American or Indian or Pakistani or American. I'm good at archery because I keep my eye on the target and manage to stay in control. If only I could apply the same principles to the other parts of my life. I pull back my first arrow, tense my muscles, and aim. Zing. It hits the target, the outermost ring. But at least I got points. I feel like I just want to read your book to you. It's so good. <laughs> Can you continue? <laughs> it's so good. I I love hearing you read it. To be in this scene of this scene is important for Lily and for Kayla as it is for Jamila for different reasons. And this is this is 
those moments that I love being in with my students and with my own children, that moment of where do we stand up for ourselves? Where do we stand up for our friends? Where do we shrug off the ignorance and the stupidity of people we don't care about, but we also want to point out how ignorant they're being? Where do we, there's just so, there's so much here that communicates who we are by how we react or step into or step out of these moments. But also there's this communication in who we are in the waves that come after, right? Yeah. So I, I love that scene because it's beautiful and it's telling. I love that you give Jamila that line of, of, I already closed the book, but that line of like, how many other parts of her day or of her life are just like this, where she doesn't stick up. She doesn't stand up. She doesn't speak up. And, and, being a kid or being an adult, Anna, I know you know this, but like trying to figure out when do you talk and when do you just let things ride and what's important to fight and and not is just like that's hard. That's life. And you give Jamila a whole lot of life right there in that scene. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I I, I thought about this a lot in terms of what to introduce or what what the insults or what she ended up she ends up describing them as microaggressions, which right. I think is a really useful, a useful phrase for kids to know, which I only learned myself a few years ago. Um, but the whole idea that some of these things that are said that make us feel terrible, you know, insulted or belittled or misunderstood or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, aren't necessarily coming from a place of, of you know hatred or intentional hurt but can still hurt us and um and what do you do and how do you react and sometimes you don't you don't know what to say or oftentimes you don't know what to say because you know the person maybe didn't mean it or didn't know better or you you know you you forgive their ignorance or you at least brush it off because it's rooted in ignorance um but like you said how how much do we let things like that go and how often are we asked to do it? And unfortunately for some people, it's more often than others um, that they, you know, are faced with those types of comments or attitudes. And um, yeah, so I, I thought it would be an interesting thing to introduce. Um, and I, I specifically made it a non-Islamophobic comment, mm-hmm. which was something I, I thought about. Um, but for me, the, that issue is even, um, I would say more egregious you know in the sense that uh, I think what what is said to her you know could be lumped into the ignorant sort of careless comment but I feel like what Muslim kids are facing nowadays and the comments they're hearing are much more um, you know hate inspired or just overhearing what other people are saying like saying really terrible things and so um, I thought I'd keep it more broad and more uh, applicable to many people, you know, beyond, I mean, anybody really can, can experience something like this and um, yeah. And then, and then have her sort of grapple with, with what to do and how to address it. I, I want to speak straight to you and it's not something I've prepared to talk about. So I'm still, still sort of working it out in my head on how to word it. So bear with me if the words are a little fumbly here, Sure. but microaggression was a new term for me from a couple of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, but also a, a new term to me um, is white fragility. Mm-hmm. And when I read this book, which I think is just speaking to this moment is speaking to just some of the work that I've been doing uh, of late and just where I am. Um, I can't help but think of the work we need to do, the work that that others, uh, myself and other white people um, need to do in helping to call out microaggressions of other white people, because I feel like I feel like often in the past, I would have just heard something like that and shrugged it off as that person's stupid. Look how just look, they're just being idiotic, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have necessarily called them out and that's wrong. Um, so one of the things I've been considering since, since the start of the school year is just, what does it look like to work with children on being upstanders, but also to work with white children about what it means to step into those uncomfortable spaces, to call out, um, to call out white supremacy, to call out white, you know, white blindness, things like that. But not that blindness is not the word. That's not the word I'm looking for. But like when, when, when we're just trying to, I don't know. A lot of, a lot of, uh, just a lot of where we are. I'm, I've become very aware and sensitive to how perhaps whitewashed maybe is the word. Um, a lot of book lists have become or, or curriculum or things like that. So how do we start working to dismantle that, but also empower children to be able to call it out as well. And I think that when I read that scene, I think about, the names that I read as being white, like Maureen and Kenzie. Um, but I, I think about if I'm reading them that way and I'm reading Kayla and Lily that way, or just assuming, then then what does it look like in that space to stand up for a friend and to call out other white people and say, this is, this is not only inappropriate, but uh, it's wrong and it's ignorant and and you need to be called out for that. Well, um, even, yeah, even more broadly, you know, like just anybody, you know, anyone for be, sure. Yeah. But, and, and I think that's such a hard thing for kids to do, but I think when they have the tools and they understand, um, you know, as I'm, I'm sure you see every day, kids have a strong sense of justice and they definitely do. and, and, and when they recognize something as wrong, you know, they're, they will stand up, but I feel, I feel like it needs to be spelled out in some cases um, where they, you know, things like, you know, the scene, maybe it's not, it's sort of unclear, you know, like how, you know, how offensive it is, is it or isn't it, you know, and I think in other cases, it's, it's much more clear, like I mentioned, and I feel like, you know, it's still a struggle, I think, for some kids when they don't have the tools or the language around what to say, or how to say it, or, you know, what, how people react to me if I'm sort of the language police, or if I'm, you know, the one who's, who's shaming someone or calling them out for something they said, but I feel like the more, the more it becomes openly discussed, you know, that these, these types of attitudes or, you know, what's, what's beneath it, that's um, causing whatever it is that's being said, um, you know, the more that those issues, like you said, are, are being discussed and, and 
broken down and, and understood, I think hopefully, you know, hopefully it'll, it'll lessen. And, and the idea that kids can recognize something as a microaggression and have that word, because for me, like, like you said, just, it's only been a couple of years, but just to know that there's a category to lump in all these really annoying things that people may say, you know, annoying, hurtful, ignorant, whatever you want to call them, yeah. but to even have, have a word for that, you know, because for years you just sort of took it, you know, and you just mm-hmm. sort of shrug or, you, you know, you don't know what to say or what, how to even classify that. Cause it may not be outright racist or outright sexist or out, you know, it's just somewhere in the middle sort of that gray area. Um, and so to be able to, to put your finger on it and say, okay, this is, this is what it is. I think that's even a start and helps, helps to process it. Um, and maybe recognize it as something that doesn't have, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, and it shouldn't be making you feel bad. Um, because it's sort of the onus is on the other person to maybe be a little more, uh, aware i think yeah helping build that um i don't know if the word is resilience of of not being afraid to speak up but just speak up and normalize speaking up normalize calling it out um i more think of of the white kids too because i feel like um we're not getting assumed to be indian or Native American or whatever, because I mean, there's other assumptions being made, but I mean, it, it diversity, uh, you know, affects everyone in different ways or presents itself different ways. And microaggressions can cover all different things. But specifically, when we're talking about our children of color, I hear so often about how, like, we, this has been my life, this has been my experience being you know, confronted by these microaggressions like this. And I guess where I'm coming from is I don't think I can say that that's been my experience being confronted by microaggressions. There are certainly things about my identity that I think uh, people have not realized. And so they have, you know, Oh, we're all just friends here. So clearly we're not offending anyone. We all think we know each other. Um, I'm dancing around stuff and I recognize that I'm being vague and I'm not trying to be, like that, Hannah, but I also know that I'm getting into a topic that's really complex and nuanced, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that here is a book and we are in a space in a time of publishing and a time in our culture where we are able to have these conversations with children. And I hope that children, you know, where you and I felt like growing up, this was just sort of a thing. I hope that our kids with this language can feel empowered to, um, open up their world a little bit more and 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 um, establish tolerance for for more people um, and welcoming for more people and um, you know stand up yeah. against bull crap because I'm trying not to swear <laughs> on this show. <laughs> yeah, hey, no, I, um, I totally agree. I agree, and yeah, and that's why I put it. I mean, that's why I worked it into the story. It's not you know obviously like um, the major plot point but the fact that you know for for the kid who needs to hear that which you know i think is a lot of them uh depending on on both sides you know, the, the aggressors and and the ones having to hear it i feel like if it could make people think about it um or even just to introduce that concept um or that term and and then even the way jamila has to sort of dial back from her initial idea of of tackling this issue and realizing that the way she wants to go about it isn't 
isn't fair to her friend um, or the or the right way or journalist journalistically yeah. you know, sound um, you know makes makes her go about it a different way too so um, so the how everything's just not always neat and um, even when you're trying to do the right thing or trying to educate someone you know if you still have to be mindful of what you're doing and saying and it doesn't give you free reign to other people's lives um, as your as your example or, or whatever um, Elias or he said He's, he, at one point he tells her I'm not your victim for you know whatever you're um trying to trying to prove or mm. write or whatever it is um which was a line that my my British friend gave me <laughs> when I I don't know what I had had said before that he said in his fake fake British English that I had written um but he he rephrased it for me that way and I, I but really I'm not your it. victim yeah I I like that you give Jamila that that moment of of hurting someone without realizing how much she hurt them and then the space to walk it back and try to make it right because i think that also connects in with this to be able to recognize that we do wrong and and communicate that we see the wrong we did and then try to make it right is is where we need to be and I think that perhaps I grew up in my family setting or in the environment I grew up in. I think that there there wasn't, I don't know that I felt like when I did something wrong, that there was space to then approach the person and apologize for it and and be okay moving forward. I think that's something I learned growing up was yeah. to just be right or to be in agreement or yeah, even something as small as like, Oh yeah, I've, I've totally seen that movie or I watched that TV show or I've played that video game. Even that, like the just wanting to be included mm-hmm. instead of just being comfortable with who I am and saying like, Oh, look, I wasn't made perfectly. Um, but by you helping me to see that you're helping to make me better. Yeah, no, I love that. And yeah, I think for me, um, it was important. One of, one of the things, and it was like, again, not a, a major part of Little Woman, I think, but one of the parts that connected with me as a reader was um, Joe having a bad temper. And um, there's a moment where she actually hurts or allows her little sister, the youngest in the family who she, who she clashes with, um, well, she falls into a river and or a lake, I guess that's frozen over because she's very angry with her. And, um, and, and then her mom has a talk with her about her anger. And, um, and so that scene, I think the whole idea of the mom confessing that she had a bad temper and had to learn how to control it. Um, as me, for me as a angry kid who didn't, same thing, didn't know how to say sorry sometimes. And, um, you know, didn't necessarily have a handle on, on my emotions, uh, that, that was really important to me. And, and that was why I wanted to work that in to the story and the idea of Jamila, you know, being, a, having good intentions. I think she's a, I hope she's a likable character. Um, oh, but at the same time, she's flawed and she has, you know, she has this temper and it, it gets the best of her sometimes. And, um, and, you know, she, she wants what she wants and she's, you know, at, po- at you know, at, at the point of the story, like just too driven, you know, to recognize what she's done to her friend or to understand why he, why he could feel betrayed by her. Um, and then it takes her a minute to, 
to figure it out <laughs> and that that's okay because if it even if you get to if you get there you get there and, and mm-hmm. sometimes it takes it takes some time but but you can do it um so and, and just that idea of her having to to grapple with her anger and learning how to channel it into something yeah. positive or something I wanted to explore since it's something I still <laughs> I still trying to figure out myself I know right that's what I love about this is the fe- <laughs> the feeling like I'm reading this as an adult and I'm still learning these things it's amazing um, well, that part is definitely personal for sure. So, uh, Anna, there are there's so much we haven't covered, and I'm watching our time. So, I want I want to jump, I want to pivot, I want to shift, because I feel like we have yet to really talk about Eliza or Bisma or Miriam. But sure. I I I I think where I want to sit with you for the last moments that we talk is with Bisma and with um with her story arc and with um the the great care that her family lifts her up in this story i don't think because it happens so early in the book i don't think it's giving away anything to share that um bisma um is is she undergoes uh, chemotherapy because of uh, lymphoma um and I think to put something so heavy onto life, onto the life of a child, um, or onto the life of a family, mm-hmm. has that great effect of making us check our priorities. That it's not that your drama isn't important, but that there are moments when. Well, there's moments when we need to focus on other things, but also you gotta also take care of yourself. Even when your, your sister's going through something really awful and hard Mm -hmm. and that in that beautiful flawed way you present Jamila, I feel like, um, I feel like you really helped me. Um, I want to share something personal with you that I, that I'm comfortable sharing on here. Um, but I'll keep it short. And that is that um, my mom was hospitalized much of my childhood. Um, and the way that my parents chose right or wrong, the way they chose to um, present that to me and my siblings or to protect me and my siblings was by largely normalizing her hospitalization. And unfortunately for me personally, the effect it had on me is that it's taken me many years of therapy and a lot of unpacking to to understand the weight the gravitas of of hospitalization and of cancer and of um big life altering health concerns but as of the past year or two when my brain has really been waking up and uh, to feeling and, and and recognizing and empathizing with a lot of these moments, I then read your book. And I realized that like, um, I realized how much I cared about Bisma in this story, mm. uh, but also that I cared about her family and the members of her family that might be grasping with what is she going through and or what do we do? And I want to thank you for 
showing your readers, you know, us adult readers as well that need it for, for showing us, here's one way to step into, to step into that space with Bisma or with someone. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm glad you could connect with her and, and her and the family in this, in this really horrible experience that they're going through. But, but one that I wrote because I, I wanted, I thought a lot about what you just said, actually, in terms of how we do react to, to loved ones when um, they're going through something so horrible. And, you know, even within a family, you see different family members react very differently um, and not know what to do. And um, I was very lucky to to have a, a neighbor and friend who was willing to share her experience with Hodgkin's lymphoma with me. And um, just through our conversations and me asking a ton of questions and her giving me very detailed responses and getting to read the, the blog that her mom wrote about her treatment and everything she was going through, um, I thought a lot about, you know, what everyone was doing and what, you know, beyond the medical and the technical, just the emotional support she was getting. And, and, and something small that she wrote made me think about, you know, people just seeing her as her cancer and not as her anymore um and just that little piece that she where she i don't remember what how she phrased it but something that she said about you know feeling like she was being followed around or you know people being afraid that she was going to break and and that being hard to deal with and and just trying to imagine from the perspective of somebody going through it what that would feel like but then also that helpless feeling of of someone you know on the outside trying to be there trying to take care of someone and not always doing the right things but um, you know, at the same time that you're grappling with your own fear and, and grief and, um, you know, in some cases, like utter panic over what's happening. So um, it is a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of emotion. But, um, but I'm really proud of Jamila for the way she, she is able to step up and, and kind of sort through uh, what's going on. And, um, and I was inspired by, by the story in, in Little Women and Joe really being there for, um, for her sister when she actually developed scarlet fever um mm-hmm. in the book and, and and dies which was something i didn't want to have happen in my no. book but um but just the idea that it was something so um you know so shocking and so challenging but but there was still so much love between the sisters and so much beauty in their relationship even as you know it was changing and um so that's what i was hoping to, to capture you give jamila such an awesome way to champion her sister to be there to show up for her sister i will not spoil that but (laughs) i loved that and this is even to go so far as to we didn't even talk about um tonight about (laughs) feelings toward boys and (laughs) families opinions on when you get to talk to boys oh there's so much we there's so much we didn't talk about today hannah but i want to just say Thank you for really the multitudes that are that are contained within your book, within more to the story, and within Jamila herself, and how you shared all of that with us. It's such a beautiful story, and I absolutely fell in love with your characters and with this family, and I'm grateful that that threaded through all of that was your love of this book that meant something, that meant so much to you at at however earlier in your life 
into where you are now. I'm grateful that that journey led you to this journey. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And it, it's so fun to, to, to speak to people who either share my love for the book or haven't read it or, you know, and just to compare reactions or even people who, who told me, tell me, you know, I, I thought it felt familiar, but I didn't realize it until the very end. Or when I read your note, I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's not, it's not really obvious for, for, you know, people who maybe read little women once, you know, when they were younger, they, they might not even notice at all. In fact, I, I shared it with a, a beta reader and she, she, I, said, I was waiting for her to see, you know, if she thought it was the right amount too much, you know, how heavy. And I didn't mention the, the inspiration. And, and later on, I was like, so, and she totally missed it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it's, it's nice that, you know, I think people can bring themselves to the story and, yes. um, you know, and, and take what they want. And, and some people see different things that actually I didn't even intend, which is really cool to have people tell me that, you know, oh, I like the way you, you treated this or that you modernized this. And I'm like, oh, I guess I did. I didn't intend to, or that was sort of un, unintentional. So oh, always uh, live for those happy accidents. Right? Isn't that those amazing? Those things where the universe is speaking yeah. through you and you just are <laughs> along for the ride. Yeah. Or people are just very kind and see things. Um, yeah, but it's, it's been lovely, but thank you. I'm, I'm really, I really appreciate your words and, and that you, you enjoyed it. It means a lot to me. Mm. Well, Hanahan, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. So I wonder if there's a message that I can bring to them from you. Sure. Well, it's a little bit serious, but I guess going back to what, what we were talking about earlier with the microaggressions, um, I would, I would like to say, and it's something that when I have the opportunity, when it, when it's appropriate, I do share with kids that I think nowadays, especially, um, we're, we're seeing, you know, some really unpleasant trends <laughs> with regards to people not necessarily being super nice to each other, um, or as kind as they can be. And, and one of the things that really concerns me when I had conversations about microaggressions with, uh, kids was Muslim kids telling me some really, um, unpleasant things about stuff they're having to face and things that are being said to them that really go beyond microaggression to outright, you know, hate inspired speech. And to what we, what you said earlier too, a lot of people don't know how to respond or react. Um, but I just think it's really important that all of us kids, you know, teachers, parents, administrators, everybody recognize that it's not okay. Um, even when it's passed off as a joke. Um, but unfortunately, Muslim kids are hearing a lot of really unpleasant things like, you know, being called terrorists, being asked if they're going to blow things up, you know, things like that. And it's really hard. And I think it's hard to have to hear those things. It's hard to react to them and know what to say. Um, but I think we all need to be champions of you know, what's right and, and stand up for our friends who maybe don't don't know what to say and and sort of reject that um, that speech because it's not being clearly I think um, singled out is not okay, along with other types of speech that, you know, every kid knows they're not supposed to use. This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com 
forward slash South Asian Kidlit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Ailey, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.